Hi, I'm Maddie. And hey, it's Doug. And welcome to The Crew of Japan, a weekly podcast where we take you on audio journeys through Japanese culture. Today, we're going to spotlight the super awesome and underrated sister city relationship between Matsue and New Orleans. It's a bond that I think few might expect, with a rich history of cultural exchange and diplomatic relations that have left a profound mark on the histories of both cities, and I think we'll continue to do so for a while. In this episode, we are super thrilled and excited to have guest host Sam Perez. Samantha is the assistant professor of history at Southeastern Louisiana University and was the coordinator of the New Orleans Matsue Sister City Exchange Program for Japan Society of New Orleans in 2019. All right, without further ado, let's just dive right on in. All right, well, uh, today we have Dr. Samantha Perez, Assistant Professor of History at Southeastern Louisiana University with us. She was the Matsue Sister City Program Coordinator for the Japan Society of New Orleans uh, this past, well, I keep saying this past year, but 2019 is a long time away at this point. We've been through so much since then. Um, so Sam, do you want to take a second to introduce yourself and say a little th- something? Yeah, I'm just super excited. Thanks for having me. Um, I love talking about Matsue, so this is this is a special treat. Um, I am a historian by trade, and a lot of my research is uh, focuses on kind of on the communication of cultural identity. And I ask questions about how people interact with other cultures and how they form their own idea of who they are. And so some of my research, which is in the early modern period, I'm really a Renaissance historian, um, I deal a little bit about Renaissance connections with Japan. And that's kind of how I got into this. And I became a member of the Japan Society of New Orleans and I fell in love with it. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, that's that's great. I mean, I know when we did our trip, you were all up on all the historical landmarks and, and the preservation pieces. So it was really interesting to kind of see you geek out about some of those things. Hey, it's an occupational hazard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what we're uh, what we're going to do is, I mean, before we kind of truck along, um, let's take a step back and and just kind of define what a sister city is for those who don't know um a sister city relationship is really um whether it could be legal or a social agreement uh, between two distinct locations across the world for the purpose of promoting cultural and and commercial ties um and if that sounds like a really good definition it's because i googled it yeah, let's, I just threw that out there. I'm not going to give myself that much credit. Um, but yeah, so New Orleans and, and Matsue entered into our sister city relationship back in 1994. And then during Katrina, it kind of fell off a little bit because of, uh, obviously, for economic rebuilding reasons. But at, around in 2011, it kind of picked up steam again. Um, and just recently in 2015, we celebrated our 25th anniversary. Um, you know, But there have been some events between that 25th anniversary and... 1994 that were pretty significant and you know some of the folks here uh participated in some of our earlier exchanges so um yeah you want to tell us a little bit about those yeah so the cool thing about sister city relationships is that new orleans has so many of them we have them in venezuela we have them in austria mexico france obviously but the thing about each sister city relationship is what makes that one special and unique and how that's specific sister city has connections to New Orleans. And so the sister city relationship between New Orleans and Matsue, it's unlike 
any of the other sister city relationships that New Orleans has and even even Matsue has. And I was really stunned the first time that I visited Matsue and I realized how many connections there were. You know, we'll we'll probably talk about the main ones like Lafcadio Hearn and, and Little Mardi Gras, but there's so many things that go beyond the surface of what ties Matsue to New Orleans and the kind of bonds that we formed. It's really cool stuff. Yeah, I definitely noticed a specific feel to Matsue that 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 reminded me of New Orleans that I wasn't expecting at all. <laughs> I think the friendliness too of it, um, that it just it felt a lot like home the first time that I went there. Uh, everybody is just so amazing in Matsue that the people that I met on my first trip are friends with me to this day. And I, ca- I can't imagine not being friends with them and having them in my life. So it's a really special place. So you so you went for the first time in 2015, right? Right. Um, and this was, I was uh, just finding out about the Japan Society of New Orleans and really, I got this phone call from a coworker from my mom, um, and she said that on the morning in the news that they had uh, our president Mike Turner had been on the news morning show and was talking about how they were accepting applications for the Tomodachi program. And so, back in 2015, we had a, a program made possible by the U.S. Japan Council, U.S. Embassy in Tokyo, and the Tomodachi Initiative. And so it was part of a two-year program, 2014 and 2015. In 2014, we had young professionals from Metsue come and visit New Orleans. And in 2015, when I found out about it, they were looking for young professionals from the greater New Orleans area to travel to Metsue and get to know the city and be part of this kind of next generation and strengthening these ties between New Orleans and Metsue. And really, that's part of the whole mission of the Japan Society of New Orleans is strengthening these bonds between our two nations. Um, I was selected as one of the group that went to Matsue, and it was it was life changing. It really was. Did y'all do a homestay at that point? We did. And talking about the the friends that you meet, um, they're the ones that when we went back in 2019, when I was coordinator, they're the ones I stayed with again. Um and we, we send presents throughout the year because they have little girls and I've got a daughter. And so we'll do present share and, you know, that they open their home to me again when I came back, you know, it's, it's really special. It's pretty awesome, that, especially you kind of develop that relationship with them and then stayed in touch. We're able to rekindle that when you went back on the previous or this most recent exchange. And, you know, like you said, you've been sending presents back and forth and you, you, you like, you would always kind of refer to them as your extended family. Um, you know, <laughs> they were your family away from your family in Japan. So it was always pretty cool. I always like that. Yeah, they really are. They've they've been in part of um, some important life moments, <laughs> which I guess is probably the overshare. But I was pregnant the first time that I went. And she was one of my, my homestay mom was one of the first people that I told ever <laughs> that I was Aww. pregnant. Um, and so... And so I got to watch her little girls um, and, you know, help take care of them and, and get to know them when I was there um, in Matsue. And then I now have a little girl of my own. And, you know, it's just it's just a really special thing for me. Um, 
So where, can we talk about where Matsue is? Because I know I'm not going to do a good job of explaining it. Yeah, yeah. I actually, you know, I was thinking about that. I'm like, we've been talking about Matsue, but I don't know if anyone knows where Matsue actually is when you look at a map of Japan. And to be honest, um, prior to really hearing about Matsue through the Sister City program um, back in 2019, I wasn't really familiar with Matsue and I had no idea where it was. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Me neither. Yeah. No, no, sorry, Sam. I didn't mean to tell you that uh, <laughs> uh yeah that's a, it's a dirty little secret <laughs> yeah yes but now you're explaining exactly where Matsui is on a map so i've done exactly. my job I, I'm, I'm we're looking, making up for it yeah <laughs> i'm looking at a map right now the main island of japan is called honshu uh and at the very kind of bottom left corner of honshu is the chugoku region and in that region there is shimane prefecture which is it's a pretty thin i guess i don't want to say thin i don't know really narrow there we narrow. go that's the word i'm looking <laughs> for god that the ten dollar word huh <laughs> um it, it's on the uh sea of japan coast of or side of japan um and within shimane is matsue so getting to there um from door to door from new orleans to matsue or actually it was izumo airport um was it 24 Five hours, something like that. Approximately, um, maybe, maybe it's a, a pretty long trip. Yeah, yeah. It was. I remember we woke up at. I mean, Samantha, you woke up way earlier because you had to drive from Chalmette, but like, I'm, and I'm like right by the airport, so it's a little bit closer. But, um, you know, we woke up really early for that seven a.m. flight. I want to say it was about twenty four hours, twenty five hours, until we got to the hotel. Yeah, door to door. For sure, especially because once we got to the airport all the way in Izumo, we still had like an hour long drive and then we had dinner and then we got back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, because when flying into into Japan, we flew into Tokyo, um, did a layover there, changed, changed terminals, changed planes. Um, and from there, we flew to Izumo Airport. Um, there are ways to get there by train. Um, and they even have night buses and whatnot that could take you there, but from Tokyo, if you fly into Tokyo. But uh, yeah, probably the easiest way is to get in through Izumo Airport. Um, but yeah, that was that was quite an adventure, and I Absolutely. gotta say I was exhausted by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, it it felt like a week wasn't enough to to uh, I guess make up for how long it took us to get there. Like two of those days were just straight up travel. <laughs> So next time we'll have to go for longer. I went to work the next day that when we got back, both times, the both times that I landed back, I was up at work and teaching the next day. So it's a a journey even when you get back. We we left on like a Tuesday, right? Or was it, no, it was a Wednesday to Wednesday or Tuesday to Wednesday. I can't remember, but we did leave like middle of the week. It wasn't like we planned it out where we're leaving on a weekend. It was middle of the week. So coming back home, it was... For us, it was like, you know, holiday, but coming back, no one else was in that mindset. We were all like, back to the grind, no time to to reminisce. (laughs) I was the latest I've ever been for work unintentionally that next day because I just didn't wake up with the alarm and uh, around like... uh, 10 a.m. I showed up like in a flurry like I just threw clothes on and ran to work and all of them were like Maddie are you okay yeah it was it was it was definitely I'm fortunate enough at the time I was working from home doing some IT work and I was able to 
oversleep my commute by a few minutes and then just walk over to my computer. Lucky. So I was safe. <laughs> I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just wanted to say that out loud to you guys. It's okay. One of us had to have a good, a good uh, run of it. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of like where Matsue is, how to get to it. Um, once you're, once you get to Matsue, there's actually, you can train and bus around town. Um, there is actually something we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, another way to get around Matsue. Uh, we'll touch on that in a second, but um, before we get too far into like the touristy aspect and telling you where to go, um, let's give you a little bit more information about um, about Matsue and the ties that, like Samantha talked about earlier, um, the ties that may connect New Orleans and and, and Matsue. There is a guy named uh, Lafcadio Hearn. Have you guys heard of him ever? I know I hadn't heard of him until the exchange happened and now i know just an ungodly amount of information about his life <laughs> well he's so fascinating too is that yeah. he is i mean this man traveled and he had such an impact on informing worldwide audiences about new orleans and japan so he's a 19th century writer um he's actually as much as this guy is going to travel he's born in greece he um, goes over to Ireland where he kind of grows up and then he comes over to the United States. He ends up in Cincinnati um, and starts working as a newspaper reporter, a journalist. And so down the line, he comes down to New Orleans. And so it's there that through through that connection that he has to New Orleans and then in five seconds when I finish the story that he'll move over to Japan and Matsue, it's that that travel really that we use as the kind of basis of our sister city connection. It's Lafcadio Hearn. That's the reason that all of this happens. And so for me, from, from the historian perspective is that Hearn is so important. Really the cultural historian perspective is that Hearn is so important for giving us this idea of what New Orleans is. So like when you look at New Orleans on, um, in movies or in books or in like those terrible shows with vampires that new orleans not interview with a vampire that's gold but like the cw version right where it's got kind of that like that mystery and that 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 feel of the french quarter uh that there's something just supernatural and mystique going on about new orleans a lot of that romantic view of the city is coming from love cut hearn that he's the reason that that image of New Orleans gets broadcasted because of his role as a journalist, gets broadcasted to the whole rest of the world um, as he writes about New Orleans. And he writes all kinds of stuff about the city. Um, it's food and it's people and it's magic like voodoo. And then after that, he leaves New Orleans and heads over to Japan, not just anywhere, but Matsue. And wasn't it in New Orleans that he found out about Japan, kind of had that awakening. Oh my gosh. So, and this is where it starts getting to my research a little bit, um, is that he actually finds out about Japan at the World's Fair that takes place. Um, that he- Yes. Yeah, so he visits the World's Fair um, in 1884, I believe. And he is, tr is walking around the World's Fair and they have obviously like stations for different places. And he finds out about Japan. He gets this book about Japan and he reads it and he just falls in love with the same kind of, of something else that he sees in New Orleans. And it's that that prompts him, it inspires him to move, to pick up everything. And the thing about it that's so incredible is that really 
contact with Japan was moderately new at this point. You know, that a lot of Western audiences, especially in the United States, did not have a whole lot of information about Japan. It was only in the 1850s that Commodore Matthew Perry starts to reopen up contact with the West in Japan. And so this is still a pretty new thing when he decides in the you know 1880s to pack up everything and leave for Japan. What a life. And that means that, you know, when he comes over, his role as a journalist, as he gives this image of what Japan is, and he starts doing the same thing of, of looking at culture the way that he did in New Orleans, now doing that same thing to Japan and using his role as a journalist, that he starts giving this picture of what Japan is and what Japan is like for all of these Western audiences. He writes this whole series of articles for um, like Harper's that are about his life in Japan. And what didn't he end up writing like ghost stories and stuff like that as well? Yeah, I was actually going to say um, that was kind of one of his connections between each of those places he lived, uh, Cincinnati, New Orleans, and then eventually um, Matsue and Tokyo, because he did move to Tokyo too. Um, you know, he had this fascination with the occult and ghost stories, and that's kind of what brought him to New Orleans. Um, you know, that kind of like supernatural feel like Samantha was just talking about. Um, and then when he went to Japan, he kind of took that same fascination with those ghost stories and did some research. And uh, his wife kind of helped introduce him to those types of stories and then really kind of broadened his horizons in that regard. And a lot of his writings were about those ghost stories in Japan. Um, whether it was translating existing stories or, you know, writing some others. Um, and one thing we didn't mention, uh, if you say Lafcadio Hearn in Japan, they may not recognize that name, but he actually took a Japanese name, uh, Koizumi Yakumo. And that name, actually, if you go into Matsue, you'll see Yakumo this, Koizumi Yakumo that, you know, you'll see little things everywhere of like his image um, some kind of paraphernalia or, or souvenirs all over the place. Even neckties. Yeah. Neckties and candy were, were the things that stunned me the most about what they put Lafcadio Hearn on. Um, He's a local celebrity. He really is. Um, his wife was actually uh, Kozumi Setsuko, and she is the one that tells him a lot of the ghost stories, which brings in all kinds of really interesting things about authorship and and cultural communication for me that his wife is giving these stories to him about, that she knows right it's really cool stuff. it's kind of like that oral tradition like passing down um you know stories from generation to generation except this wasn't a generational pass down it was just to a spouse and he was able to translate those and and pen them um in in english to share those stories with the outside world yeah i think that's a really powerful thing that kind of um it came directly from the mouth of, of somebody who knew. Yeah, so like his, um, like one of his most popular books or most famous is like Kwaidan. That's also the inspiration for Japan Society of New Orleans Book Club is that it's named after Kwaidan, yeah, for that reason. I never picked up on that. How how cute. I love that. The Lafcadio Hura Museum in Matsui is also unbelievable. Yeah. They've done a lot of recent work and renovations for it and remodeling to, to make this absolutely impressive exhibit. I guess this is me geeking out again, Doug. Um, um, the museum is just unbelievable now uh, that I got to see it right when we went for the 2019 exchange. 
that to celebrate the 25 year anniversary of the sister city relationship, we got to go see the new museum. And it's, it's very close to where Lovecario Hearn's house is preserved. And they have like, which is also a museum in itself. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the stuff that got me hooked on history in the first place. Like the, (laughs) the cool stuff, like how his desk is really high because his eyesight was so poor and you get to see his writing desk and you actually get to sit in it. And so you can imagine what it was like for him to be writing these stories uh, and working in this space. And I know that I'm making people probably very jealous and want to go to travel to Matsui, which they absolutely should. But the house is beautiful. Um, you have the gardens all around it and you just imagine this space that he's in. Yeah. How could you not be inspired, you know, sitting there <laughs> looking out at the trees? Oh, it's beautiful. And so they redid the museum right next to it. And it's a, it's, it's incredible. Um, that you have the the timeline that follows his life and all of the places that he's gone and you see the kind of the moments of inspiration that led him to fall in love with Japan and fall in love with Metsue and of course fall in love with his his wife um, in Metsue. Yeah, and and one thing too, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about Lafcadio Hearn and his his impact on Matsue, but where he lived was right in the heart of Matsue. Um, but that whole area is. Um, what they call Shiomi Nawate Street or the Samurai District. And they have so many little museums, restaurants, uh, gardens, all this beautiful preserve, like, or they try to restore it to look like historic Japan, like samurai times to keep those homes and, and, and make them as, as I guess preserved of what they were in the past. And maybe I'm I'm not speaking to this well enough, and I should let Samantha talk to that because this is her this is again her area of expertise. But uh, you know that whole area is just phenomenal, and it's all kind of surrounding the castle. So that whole area is is meant to be this kind of stepping into the past, which is absolutely incredible when you go there, and especially so because it's surrounded by Matsue Castle, which I guess is. A good point for us to talk about Matsue Castle, right? Absolutely, please. Yeah, that was that was one of the highlights of my trip over there. I loved I loved that area, yeah. and that, the castle was gorgeous. Well, because the the idea of the Samurai Street, as I remember, is that it kind of like surrounded the castle so that it would be you'd have the castle, a moat, and then all of your most trusted soldiers living all around you as an added layer of protection, right? Which is all part of that construction of the the Edo city, which is what Matsue started as, um, as this kind of area, this kind of castle town, right? And you can see it, especially with the the Samurai Street that's preserved there, but then the layout of the city as a whole. It's really cool stuff. And didn't they say that they often film samurai movies in that area because it's so similar to how it would have looked <laughs> did they <laughs> i think they did yeah they, they did they, they had said that there's certain angles when they were filming down the street if you look at it you don't capture like the, the power lines you don't they try to minimize the visibility of all those like kind of modern modernized technology so um you could do some of these like long span shots on film and it looks completely hist- like a, like you're actually in those times uh, that's how preserved they are. Mm-hmm. 
So if, if you visit Matsue, you might just see a samurai film getting filmed. Just, you know, an extra reason to visit. That's awesome. Preservation is actually one of the things that connects us to Matsue as well, New Orleans and Matsue. Um, and one of the things that we got to talk about when we went to Matsui the last time was how these efforts to preserve those districts, those historic districts, are so deliberate that they will try to minimize um, the kind of markings on roads so that, I mean, to, to keep it safe, obviously, but to um, kind of just make sure that things look as as authentic as possible and the colors remain pretty consistent to the time period too. And that's something that we have to deal with when we talk about the preservation of things like the French Quarter and our own historic buildings. Yeah, it, you get into this place where where the uh, I believe we we spoke with like some architects and like somebody from the city uh, of Matsue who kind of described to us the very specific building codes that have to be followed in order for a new project to even occur in in these preserved areas, which I imagine is very similar to the French Quarter. Yeah. It's pretty awesome stuff about the preservation of of history and how that is not just for the sake of preserving history and learning from it, which is obviously something I care deeply about, but also for giving a, an idea of what attracts people to Matsue. And the castle and the, the castle area is so part of that because Japan does not have many original uh, castles left. I think there's about 12 original castles um, that a lot of them were destroyed in the century since the Edo period that, you know, that with world wars and with kind of major reactions to Meiji reactions to um, eras before that a lot of these castles were actually lost um, or destroyed intentionally. And that makes Matsue's castle so very special that it's one of the very few original castles that are still standing. And, and yet, uh, as I remember it, it never, though it was built to be incredibly defensive, it never quite had to defend against anything. And, and one other thing, too, because uh, a lot of people think like the, the daimyo or like the, the lord of the area lived in the castle. It's actually he didn't. He had a home outside of it, but it was actually just more of a, a stronghold and, and like a military preparation place um where they can go and... just your casual office yeah 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 you can definitely see that in the architecture when you go inside of the castle i mean there's some living space but it's it's very much um meant for defense the small windows so that you could throw rocks out of them and then the kind of like archer windows so that you can you can shoot down your arrows to the the ground below and it's very tall very hard to climb yeah i was gonna say the logistics to get up to the top where you would go into the castle, you you literally have to kind of wind and go through these walls or gates and climb up steps and, and now steps, but back then I'm sure it was a lot more difficult uh, to get get around and to to access. So it, it's up. It's pretty of, difficult yeah, now. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a bit of a track, especially when you have your socks on because you take your shoes off at the at the bottom, and you're. I just I always remember this moment of of almost slipping up the steps. I did the same thing. Oh, oh, I totally slipped. I, 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 I slipped and caught myself. Fortunately, but yeah, God forbid you you fall down those steps because those are steep. Um, well, and inside, uh, they've kind of turned it into a, a museum of 
the the region yeah for sure and the the cool thing about Matsui's castle is that it's built the castle gets started i think about the year 1607 ish and it takes obviously a couple years to to complete but the real thing about that specific time period is that that's actually at the very beginnings more or less of western contact with japan in the first place that the portuguese show up in about 1543 and open up japan to western contact and so when the castle is built about you know starting in 1607 it's this moment of of incredible change in 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 the region and you can see that because in the museum they have like some um early guns that were introduced from the europeans when they start showing up in japan that's right i am always amazed when people just casually drop years of like countries entering <laughs> into a country or doing so i'm like man i can barely remember like people's birthdays or phone numbers. <laughs> so like the fact that you could just drop those i, I always get so impressed <laughs> props Sam. that's why they pay me the big bucks <laughs> And uh, the castle is actually surrounded by a moat that you can take a wonderfully leisurely um, boat ride on with a, a lovely Matsuean serenading you as you uh, experience. As, as you duck, um, as you go through the bridges. So they have all these, these bridges, um, obviously over the moat that connect it to the castle. And when you're going down the boat ride, I just, I, I love where you have to duck. And I mean, I don't mean like a casual dip your head duck. I mean that you are on the floor of the boat as the roof lowers and you, you pass through this, the, the bridge, like under the bridge. Yeah. You really get to, it, it brings you around the tour that we did. I want to say it was about 45 minutes and they go around the castle and then the tour guide, who fortunately they actually have. English guided tours. So if you're interested in an English guided tour um, and when you travel there, they have those. Um, but the, the the tour guide would kind of point things out and kind of give you some really cool tidbits and of historical importance or just like, oh, it's nice to know or need to know, did you know type things as, you, as you're going around. But one of the, I mean, this mode, it was the primary means of navigating and, and trans, uh, transporting yourselves in, in Matsue back in the old days. Uh, you know, pe like they had steps that go down to the water and people were washing clothes in that water because, you know, back then it was cleaner, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was very much a, it was a water town, a water city. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, I am from a water town and I don't mean just New Orleans. I mean, just further down river that my entire life I've been surrounded by canals and lakes and my dad was an oyster fisherman and that's just been such a part of who I am that I think that's one of the reasons that I fell in love with Matsue and that I just felt so comfortable there from the very beginning because Matsue is a water town. You're right. And that's not one of the things that you think of when you, you think of the sister city relationship, that it's all about Lafcadio Hearn because he's on the neckties and on the boxes of candy. But, but there's so much more that connects us to Matsue and our relationship to the water is, is a lot like that. At Matsue, you're right that it's, you know, close to the Sea of Japan and that you have like Shinji right there, not to mention a lot of like rivers um, and then some other lakes in that area as well. And so it's just I remember one of the first times, the the, the first time I went to Matsue, my host mom uh, brought me out to go see them fishing for clams in the morning. And it's just something about it was just it, it felt so familiar to me because... <laughs> 
I've always grown up with a family of fishermen and shrimpers and oyster fishermen. And it was just, it was beautiful to see these connections to the water, the way that we have them here in New Orleans. Yeah. And, and like you, like you mentioned, I mean, they have Lake Shinji on one side and on the other side is Lake Nakaumi. Um, so, I mean, they're both sides of their, you know, east and west sides of Matsue is lakes and to the north is the Sea of Japan. So three sides of the city are surrounded by water. So it's like you said, the, the culture itself is very much centered around um, these bodies of water. And like you mentioned, the Lake Shindi, then having the, 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 the clam fishing, um, those shijimi is like one of the top delicacies of of Matsue. And they, they'll they'll put it in the miso. They'll they'll have like all sorts of different uh, regional specialties that are that just have shijimi in them. <laughs> Which is the other cool thing about Matsue's connection to food too. That uh, mm-hmm. uh, again, the things you don't think about, but like Green's Baby is a restaurant in Matsue and has very special connections to New Orleans because they are a kind of like a Japanese New Orleans fusion restaurant. Yeah, it's so cool to find these little uh, pockets of, of connection. Well, and uh, that kind of reminds me of that little Mardi Gras day um, and like the little connections that it also reminds me of are like when Sam, I think you were talking about this story where uh, you were walking home after all the little Mardi Gras stuff was done, or maybe it was another day, and you heard somebody playing trumpet or something like that on the street? Yeah, they were just, it was, uh, they had dragged a piano out, and it was a guy playing, and it was, it was so amazing, because they were just, you know, playing second line music in, in the street, and it, you think about when you're walking around down here and you see street musicians, it it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I would say that, that one of the things you mentioned, Little Mardi Gras, and that was actually one of the central pieces of our, our exchange program is participating in this Little Mardi Gras parade that happens annually in, in October. And uh, we dressed in, dressed in Mardi Gras attire. We had beads and doubloons. And the funniest thing is when we were going through these parades, they had high school bands and whatnot kind of doing like a, a marching band competition. Um, and one of the funniest things is as we're walking, we had these beads, we had these doubloons. Um, you have people standing along the street, not nearly as crowded as you would think, and there's no floats or anything like that, but you're just walking down the street and then we're like, oh, that's Mardi Gras. Let's throw beads. Let's throw doubloons. So we're throwing beads at people, throwing doubloons and just standing there like, what the hell are these people doing? Like we're throwing things and it's just hitting them or they're like dodging it. They're not even trying to catch it. So it's like one of those like cultural like gaps that we don't really think about, but for us it's second nature. I got in the habit of going up to the little kids and, and handing them the bead or the doubloon. And I felt like I was handing my business card. You know, I actually think I scarred a a little girl because, um, the, the job that I had at the time, they sent me with some, some throws, uh, as you know, just a little token of goodwill. And, uh, my boss at the time had gotten like little plastic, alligators but they were very realistic and you know of course for like uh mardi gras here kind of weird bizarre throws are a specialty and something that you'd you'd really enjoy getting um and i I, it didn't really occur to me (laughs) that it might be something scary to hand to like a 10 year old (laughs) 
<laughs> and so I tried to give it to this little girl and she like screamed and ran away. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that was just, it was always just kind of funny. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I hit like a couple people in like the face with beads, not intentionally, but like just kind of lobbing them up and they weren't looking. They weren't just thinking that Mardi Gras beads are going to be thrown at them. And yet it still had such a festive vibe to it. You know, it was very colorful and very loud. I mean, and it was just filled with this love of New Orleans, too, that the like the so many people come to go look at this little Mardi Gras parade in Metsue that it has so much of a draw uh, that you have all of the high school bands come and play. And then uh, they're playing, you know, second line music. And they're just in I remember there were Saints colors that you could see. And there's the flag of the city of New Orleans that they're having through the parade alongside of the Metsue flag. And it's just it's this huge celebration of the things that do connect our cities. Absolutely. Man, we could, we could literally talk about Matsue for, for hours. I mean, I, <laughs> we, we've barely touched on other places to go outside of like the castle area. And there's so much more, not just in Matsue, but like in the surrounding areas outside of it. Um, so we'll, we'll have you know, to do multiple more episodes. Yeah. I was about to say, Sam, we might have to have it back for like a future episode. Definitely multiple. I'd be glad to. <laughs> yeah. So, so before we wrap up, I have one question for, for each of us. Um, so bear with me here. It's your last night in Matsue, maybe last morning. It's 4 a.m. You found yourself in the back of a snack bar after having multiple beverages, and you have to pick one 1990s to early 2000s pop song to sing. What would you sing in karaoke? Sam, I'll let you go first. Um, obviously, if this were a complete and total hypothetical, um, I would be picking songs from my favorite band, which is Aqua. Okay. Um, yes, I am admitting that on what will become a widely broadcast podcast. Aqua is awesome. And I would straight up be singing Aqua. Um, I'm guessing Barbie Girl is like the classic I should probably be going with. Um, but I might have to I might have to put some other songs in there too. Can I sing more than one? I feel like I should be able to sing more than one. I mean, of course, but I mean, this is your last one. All right, my last one. Okay. Yeah, your last song before you close out your tab, hypothetical tab. Hypothetical tab. And then hypothetically walk 45 minutes to a Lawson to get convenient food before going to bed and having to wake <laughs> up in like 2 hours. Okay. Wait, did you say 80s to 90s, right? 90s to early 2000s. Oh, 90s to early 2000s. Okay. Then, yeah, I'm going to go with Dr. Jones by Aqua. It is both a great song and occupationally relevant. I love it. <laughs> Maddie, what about you? I'm trying to remember what um, in this hypothetical situation I might have considered. I think I remember, I mean, I would possibly hypothetically be singing... Uh, a song from Greece. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. You don't remember that? What, what's that last song they sang? That I got chills. Da, 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 da. Like what? What was that song called? Oh my god! You put me on the spot here. I was the one supposed to be putting people on spots, not not you. <laughs> How the tables have turned. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's that one song. If y'all know it, you know it. <laughs> That's my go-to. Isn't it like? Oh my gosh, you're the one that I want. Is that right? Is that the name? Yes, yes. Is that the name of it though? Yeah. La, 
da 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 Sam stole Barbie Girl from me, so that's that's usually my go-to. Two Aqua songs. And <laughs> <laughs> anyone that is listening to this podcast that knows me or did Jet program with me or or has been to karaoke with me knows that I definitely have tried a few songs from either Aqua Barbie Girl, um, Lady Gaga, or. The darkness i believe in a thing called love those are like my three go-to okay wait but wasn't there in this completely hypothetical situation um a rap song that you did <sighs> eminem my name is <laughs> you did it twice which is in hypothetically right. would have done oh it my twice. God. I, I, for, I hypothetically don't remember because there we go remember. there it is <laughs> um. <laughs> all right well that that was uh that was our our conversation about Matsue and our trip over there and the program, which is absolutely Yay. phenomenal. Um, you know, once COVID and, and, and this pandemic kind of starts to dissipate and we can go back to international travel and whatnot safely, um, you know, Japan society is always going to be looking to have one of these exchange programs again in the future. So if this is something that does sound interesting to you and you would love to travel to Matsue, keep your eyes and ears peeled. Um, you never know what you'll find. Uh, Samantha may be planning it. It could be one of us. Who knows? But you have to be a Japan. You have to be a member of the Japan Society in New Orleans in order to participate. So keep that in mind. Wink, wink. Um, but it is one of those reinvigorating, life-changing opportunities because you really do get to go immerse yourself in a brand new culture and learn about a place you've never been to, um, see people and things that you've never seen before. Um, and again, we'll touch on these in other future episodes, but. Uh, it is so, so, so much of a great opportunity. Um, so please keep that in mind. Uh, and, and, you know, Sam and Maddie, do you have any closing remarks about Matsu you want to pass on? Yeah, actually, my little uh, fun fact is I am the same age as the Matsue New Orleans sister city relationship. And I actually got to spend my 25th birthday in Matsue as a part of the 25th anniversary celebration and i thought that was a really uh i don't know it just felt like a fate or something like that and um i i can't what a great birthday present i know i mean i definitely would have to echo what we've already been saying i think matsue is a really special place and i i love how how rural it is and yet how how connected it is you you would never expect a place like matsue to be such an international presence and yet it is um and i think that that's just a really beautiful thing and i know that i'm counting the days until i can go back just how incredible it is um and how welcoming matsue is um one of my favorite memories and i'll say this to close one of my favorite memories is after the last little mardi gras parade and so this is now my second time in Metsue. I, I have friends there and I remember just walking back to where I was, I was going to meet some people and I'm walking just through the streets of Metsue just randomly. And, and I'm seeing people that I know Oh yeah. and I'm waving to them and it just, I'm just walking through like the parade's over, the celebration's really over. And I'm just, it was just such a, an amazing thing to be part of, uh, 
a community that has so much in common with us here in New Orleans. Yeah, it was it was really it's it's crazy how you can step out and this is this is not just Matsue but a lot of places in Japan. You're in like an urban center and then you step out and kind of get into um, you can go 10 minutes in one direction and maybe find a little outlet that makes you feel like you're lost in like the middle of you know trees and you find a little like Shinto shrine or something really cool. Um, it, it's it's really really awesome. Um, there, there was one thing, Sam. You reminded me of something, and I, I know we were about to wrap up, but this is I'm gonna steal one more memory here. One of the things uh, about the Castle Town area that we talked about earlier, they had a, a festival going on in, in October, and uh, pretty much like you had all these like lit up like lights and lanterns along the path at night. It was absolutely gorgeous, and then they have a drum festival, a taiko festival that occurs during that same time. And all these little drum groups are practicing. So like they're playing their drum sets. Um, as you're walking through, you could hear like little pockets in different neighborhoods and just walk up and see people practicing. It was such a surreal uh, experience to do that. Like the, the setting was beautiful and, and, and unique and something you can really only, I don't wanna say only experience in Matsui, but it was something I hadn't experienced in Japan up until that point. Um, so if you get a chance to go um, to Japan, whenever that is in the future, I absolutely recommend Matsue. I think all three of us would absolutely recommend Matsue. It is a bit of a, I don't want to say out of the way, but if you're maybe traveling out to Kyoto or Hiroshima, it's not that far off the beaten path from there. So um, that's going to that's gonna wrap up our episode today on uh, Matsue and our sister city relationship. So once again, thank you, Sam, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was such a great time to talk and we'll, we'll be sure to have you on in the future so that way we can talk about Matsui some more. I'd be glad to be back. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Sam for joining us today. And thank you to you, our listeners. Maybe you came into this wondering, what's a Matsue? Like me only a few years ago. Or maybe you already have been there once or twice. I hope this episode got you a little more interested in learning some more about this wonderful city. So if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share your thoughts with us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Crew of Japan Podcast. That's K-R-E-W-E-O-F-J-A-P-A-N. Crew of Japan. While you're there, subscribe and let us know how you are enjoying our podcast. That's it for today. Until next time.